There are two sides to everything. Light, dark. Good, evil. You love us. Your counterpart hates you. It makes sense to me that Lucifer would hurt us to hurt you. But wouldn't that mean you'd stop him to help us? So what is it? You keep the boogeyman around just to scare us? Or has Lucifer simply become more than you can handle anymore? I think you're Dr. Frankenstein. You lost control of your monster and left us villagers to ride out the nightmare. You want off the hot seat? Then I need some answers. After all, the devil is in the details. I don't think I like that man. So they call him by a lot of names. Satan, Lucifer, Abaddon, Apollyon. They call him the serpent. They call him the snake. They call him the deceiver. They call him Beelzebul. And the question we ask God today, the tough question as we put him in the hot seat, is if you only make things that are good, then how did this evil presence get into the party? How did he get here? Now, remember, as we're asking these tough questions of God, we have some ground rules. The first is this, that our base authority will be the Holy Scriptures. And you say, but that's one of my questions. Who died and made the Holy Scriptures boss? Well, hang around. We'll deal with that in two weeks. Secondly, second ground rule is that it is okay to have more questions than we can answer. In fact, you may find that some of the questions we answer create more questions for you. And that's good. Thirdly, you have the right to disagree. In fact, you feel free to disagree, and maybe you should. But when you disagree, please don't come back with opinion based upon feelings or what somebody else said. You research it, then you talk with your friends about what you think, and you talk to family, and you gather in small groups, and really discuss this stuff out. So there's this farmer who has sheep, and he's puzzled because the sheep keep disappearing. So finally, in an effort to put a halt to it, he takes and, and puts around the sheep this, this very extensive electric fence. A week later, here's a picture of what he found. Ooh. Now, to get the full magnitude of the size of that snake, we have another picture for you. Those wires you see back there are 10 inches apart. That mouth span is 20 inches. Take, check out those teeth. Bite in, suck in. In fact, the first picture, you'll see a lump. You would have seen a lump in the snake itself. He'd been eating on something. 
So my question is this. Who took the fence down from around my life? And how vulnerable am I? To understand that, then we need to understand this, that we become the decisions we make. In fact, just look at the person next to you. Take a good look at them and and just tell them they look really good. Just do that. Just take a look at them. Again, now turn back to them and say, do I really look that good? Just ask them. There you go. Now, now turn to them and say, do I look better than the person next to me? No, don't do that. The compilation of the decisions we make form who we are. And the person that you just looked at is a person who is who they are because of the decisions they made. Do you think that Kanye West's interruption of Taylor Swift at the MTV Music Awards was a fluke? (laughs) I didn't ask for a vote. I'm just, it's a rhetorical thing here. And do you think Beyonce's gracious response was out of character? Do you think that Bernie Madoff's ripoff of so many investors and gaining himself millions of dollars was something he decided on the spur of the moment? Do you think that Mother Teresa was forced to go into the slums of Calcutta and pick up those children? I propose to you that what you see is their nature a culmination of the decisions they've made. Our decisions become our nature. And we learned last week that love gives us choice. When God created us, he created us with love, and he wanted us to love him in return, and therefore we have a choice to love. If I am forced to love, it's not love. Am I forced to say, I want to be with you? It's not love. When, when I told Pam I love her, it was not forced. When I asked her to marry me and she said yes, it was not forced. I prayed a lot and it happened. When we got married, she had inscribed on my wedding band, I choose to love you. A couple years later, she asked if she could finish the inscription and I said, what do you mean? She said, I'd like to put in there, I choose to love you and sometimes I wonder why. If I kept Pam in my house for these last over 33 years against her will, that is a federal offense. That is kidnapping. That is not love. So when God says to us, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus later on came and defined neighbor as yourself, meaning love them as I have loved you. Because if you do that, that's the good that I have for you in life. And if you do that, it'll bring you health and prosperity and life. And if you don't do that, those are the wrong choices. And he calls that evil because those are destructive choices when we refuse to love. So our life becomes a compilation of those choices and those things become our nature. 
In fact, the more we choose a specific destination with our choices, the easier it is to make those type of choices. If I choose to hate someone, it's easier to hate someone more or another person because I'm down that track. My character picks up momentum and moves and accelerates toward that shaping of my nature and, if you will, the finalization of my destiny. The only thing that will stop that, that nature, is what the first century people called repentance, which means to turn and walk the other way on purpose, to change the nature, the movement that we've been involved in and Shift and go the other way. Pivot 180 degrees. So Alice hates her husband. True story. Not her name, but true story. Alice feels like her husband doesn't care and they've just had conflict and she hates her husband and she finds ways to make life miserable for him. She wishes he was dead. She comes to her counselor and says, I've had it. I wish he was dead. I can't kill him, but I will divorce him and I will just rip him off in the process. And the counselor says to her, you really want, you really want to hurt him? She said, oh yeah. Then for the next month, I want you to go back and I want you to make him think that you love him. I want you to find ways of loving him and expressing love to him so that In weeks, he'll begin to think that you love him. And somewhere in that process, when he really begins to think that you love him and he is really starting to attach to you, then you divorce him and just strip him clean in the process. She said, that's a great idea. She went, she went, came back, and the counselor said, so are you ready to divorce him? She said, no, it's really weird, but I think I'm starting to love him. I'm going to tell you that the decisions that we make and the actions we take begin to have a bearing on our nature. Now, see, I want to debate that because I would rather blame you for my nature. I would rather blame the school system for how I turned out. I would rather blame my stepfather for how I am today. I would rather blame my DNA and my heritage. I'd rather blame the government. I would rather blame the city. I'd rather blame the city water. I'd blame anything. It's been that way since the beginning. When God walked into the garden and Adam and Eve had made a wrong choice, a destructive choice, God said, what are you doing? And Adam said, the woman you gave me. God came to Eve and said, what's the deal? And she said, that snake. This week, somebody sent to me a a really, really good recording. Um, It came from Queensland, Australia, in a high school, where the faculty and staff got tired for being blamed for their kids, for the kids going to school. And so when you call into the school, here is the recording that you would hear. answering service of your school. In order to assist you in connecting to the right staff member, please listen to all the options before making a selection. To lie about why your child is absent, press 1. To make excuses for why your child did not do his homework, press 2. To complain about what we do, press 3. To swear at staff members, press 4. To ask 
why you didn't get information that has already been enclosed in your newsletter and several flyers that have been mailed to you, press 5. If you want us to raise your child, press 6. If you want to reach out and touch, slap, or hit someone, press 7. To request another teacher for the third time this year, press 8. To complain about bus transportation, press 9. To complain about school lunches, press 0. If you realize this is the real world and your child must be accountable and responsible for his or her own behavior, classwork, and homework, and that it's not the teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, hang up and have a nice day. If you want this in another language, move to a country that speaks it. Thank you for your interest in public education. So tomorrow when you call the academy... You can't blame them. It's what James, the bishop of the church in Jerusalem in the first century, said. James, the first chapter, the 13th verse, this is what the letter said. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his what? Own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now look, you cannot tempt God. What do you have that would tempt God? That's like asking Tiger Woods to go to dinner with you and you'll give him a sleeve of golf balls. The man has enough golf balls. What can you give God that would tempt him? So God is not tempted. He, can, he contains it all. He has it all. In fact, that scripture says that he is the father of lights. He has created everything good for you and actually guards that so that he can guide you to it, so that he can say, this is the good. But you see, we want to decide for ourselves what is good. And when it doesn't turn out to be good, we say, God messed me up. So herein lies the problem. The source of our temptation lies within our desires. We want what we want because we think it's good, and as a result, it is destructive to ourselves and to other people. I'm going to ask Jim Renner to join me on stage. Jim, come on up. Jim is an avid fisherman, and in this passage we just read, James says, we are dragged away and enticed. It is a fishing analogy. So, Jim, you brought with you something. What is that? Uh, this is a lure. Okay. Explain to us how that lure works, because I've never really known how lures work, because I never catch anything. So, it's sharp. Did you, just, did you just hook yourself? <laughs> I did. Yeah, all good. Yeah. Well, this is nice and shiny, as you can see. And as you drag it through the water, this blade spins, which creates even more attraction for the fish. When they get close on this hook... You put bait. This one happens to be for walleye, so you put their favorite thing on there, a nice juicy worm. Or if you like, a leech. See, if worms are steak, then leech is filet mignon for walleye. Once he gets close enough, he bites into this. Now on this hook, there's two sharp parts. There's one here, which is the business end. It hooks him. But there's another one that points the opposite way. The barb keeps him from getting off. Once he's hooked, an experienced fisherman will play him and land him almost every time. And then what will he do once he catches him? I uh, usually eat them. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the word dragged away 
and enticed. The word dragged away actually means the attraction. It is the lure. There is something around you that attracts your attention. You say, oh, man, that'd be great. As you get closer, the enticement comes when you see the bait and say, it would not hurt to do that. Your desire sees the attraction, says, it's okay, I can bite into that. You bite into it, and you've got trouble. In fact, James says, you'll end up destroyed. So that's a nice analogy, but as I was talking to Jim about this, because I knew he was a fisherman, I just point blank asked him, I said, Jim, has this ever happened to you in your life? Talk, talk about that for a moment. It has. Um, when I was in the service, I got saved. But when I got out, um, I wasn't in a church, wasn't in a fellowship, so I was easy prey. And the lure that Satan used for me was playing in a secular band. You know, you get to be on stage. You get to be in the bright lights. You get to be one of the cool people. And, when and, I, and were you cool? No, not so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't really work out. <laughs> The bait, once I got there, was the pleasures of the party lifestyle. The booze, the drugs, all the things that go along with that. The hook was the alcohol and the alcoholism. And the barb that kept me from getting off that was the lie and the deception that the enemy will tell you, you can't have any fun unless you're drinking, unless you're high. Life is no good. That's a lie. The good news is, is Jesus freed me from this. But it doesn't end there, see. Not only did he free me and get me off this hook, he healed the wounds that the hook caused. And the desires that caused me to be lured to this in the first place, he satisfied them with good things from his hand. So there's no longer temptation here. Thanks, Jim. Amen. You're not shy, are you? Look, believe me, our choices shape our nature. You say, oh, are you sure? All right, let me tell you what Jesus said. How many trust Jesus? Good, this is what he said. Luke 6, verse 43. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never grow on thorn bushes, nor grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Look, if you don't like who you are, take a look at your choices, because they have shaped you. And we still, and I'm still tempted to say, but it's, it's their fault. Remember the old Saturday Night Live skit? Could it be Satan? Let's blame him. Adam and Eve tried to. So they're in this garden. Everything is good. God says it's good. Everything is, is just is wonderful. And they hear this voice that says to them, if you go do what God told you not to do, then you'll become at least as God is or better because he's trying to hold back on you. Now, who do you believe? So the question is, who invited him in? Why would a loving God let that voice even speak? So I want to talk a little bit about that snake. His name is Lucifer, one of the names. I want to describe to you his character. 
Because if I asked you to describe his character now, you would say he has incredible potential for evil and he's fulfilling it. But I want you to know in God's kingdom, the way that God creates, that when he gives you equal potential for evil, he also gives you evil potential for, I mean, gives you greater potential for good. That he does not just say you'll be evil, but God said, I'm giving you a choice as he's given us. To the degree that we can do good, we also can do evil. Satan had that same choice. Lucifer, and we have images of him at times and people draw him up, but Lucifer was created as an angelic being. Now, a little known fact about him is this. Let's show him. He's a Yankees fan. <laughs> you be sure you tell Pastor Dan, will you? Enjoy God's well, Where are you? Take a good look. All right. Okay, so what do we know about him? We know that he has personal access to God. He can go right in and see God. We know that. We also know that his authority is so great and his power is so great that even Michael the archangel could not bring judgment on him because his authority was not greater than Lucifer's authority. We do know this, that he does not know everything. He is not all-knowing. He cannot be everywhere at one time. He's not all-knowing, he cannot be everywhere, and he's not all-powerful. Only God can do that, and this is a created being. He is not God. We do know that he has a powerful kingdom, and he runs it with intelligent consistency. He has studied you. In fact, he has a network of spiritual beings, some call them fallen angels, who have infiltrated this world and they are watching. They're in another dimension we cannot see, but they exist. And they're watching you and studying you and they know where your weaknesses are. They know the choices they can get you to make that will bring destruction to your family, to your marriage, to your community. They know that. Two Old Testament prophets, two early prophets, while describing an earthly situation, also described a heavenly confrontation. I want you to see what that is. Isaiah, the prophet, said this. What a come down this, O Babylon, day star, son of dawn, talking about Satan. Flat on your face in the underworld mud, you famous for flattering nations. You said to yourself, I'll climb to heaven. I'll set my throne over the stars of God. I'll run the assembly of angels that meets on sacred Mount Zaphon. I'll climb to the top of the clouds. I'll take over as king of the universe. But you didn't make it, did you? Instead of climbing up, you came down, down with the underground dead, down to the abyss of the pit. Satan chose, even as he had tempted Adam and Eve, he said, if you do this, you'll be as God. That was his choice. He wanted to be as God. And this one who had such great potential for good chose what he thought would be good for himself. And look at the good that God had prepared for him. Ezekiel the prophet said this. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. 
So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground. What is it that he wants? The very thing that he talked to Jesus about. For he came to Jesus and he said, If you will worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Now, amazingly, Jesus did not argue with him regarding the kingdoms of this world. How did he get authority? How did God give him authority to rule over this earth and cause destruction and to, to harass you and me and bring us temptation that our evil desires hook onto and away we go? How did that happen? See, God did not give him that authority. We did. Because if you remember, God said, I'm giving you dominion over this earth and the authority that goes with it. Now, there is this law that says, to whom you obey, that is your master. So as long as we obeyed God, God said, I still want you to have that authority. I could take it back, but I want you to have it. I want you to rule on this earth. Take it. As soon as they trusted and obeyed the voice of Satan, Satan said, I am now your authority. I rule over you, and I don't want you to have that dominion. I want the dominion, and he had the right to it because he ruled over us. And there from that point on, he created what he wanted to happen on this earth, destruction by poor choices. And we talked about it last week. Not only did it infect families and generations, but it also infected the earth. And one day, God in flesh shows up and says, okay, we're going to straighten this out for the kingdom of God is here again. And if you follow me, Jesus said, I will teach you how to take back that authority. I will bring you back to the garden that I had planned for you in the very beginning and show you how to have authority over the one who now has authority over your life and brings destruction into your community and family. So we're back to that place. We're back to the garden. Whose voice do we listen to? Who do we trust? And it's complicated because when that voice speaks to us, it speaks to us so that our desires that want to do what we want to do latch onto it and we are convinced that it's okay for us to do that. And as we continue to do that, it becomes easier and easier. Our character accelerates in that manner and our nature is formed. We are now pulled by two forces. We have two voices speaking to us. And the question is this, who do you trust? Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said this about those two forces. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Who do you trust? Whose voice do you listen to? Who is shaping your nature? Maybe this will help you decide. Only one force will ultimately win. Just one force. Now, please hear me. You say, we're in a cosmic struggle. 
We have this evil, destructive thing, and we have this God of good, and they are fighting. Now, let me tell you something. Don't ever begin to believe that those forces are equal. Oh, on this world, it seems like even evil it has greater force, but in God's kingdom and what God has designed, there is not equality between the power and the authority that Satan has and the power and the authority that God has. Now, look, it's true that our freedom is a little piece of controlling power. God said, I'm going to take some of my power and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to let you use it and I will step back and not let my hands be involved in that. You get to choose what you want to do because I love you and I want you to learn how to love me. So I give you that right to make those choices. You choose. So he surrenders his opportunity to get his way. So we can choose... To love God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourselves, We can choose to serve people. We can choose to, to help humanity. We can, we can feed the poor. We can go after those who have no justice and stand up for them because that's what his kingdom is all about. We can do that or we can choose a, our life that's focused on us to get our things and we can control our own living and, and make destructive choices. But understand, no outside power of God, no power outside of God can limit him. God limits himself for us to make our own choices. He voluntarily did that. He lets us choose so that we are capable of loving in the same manner that he is capable of loving. And Satan had that same choice. But he chose to hate But understand that Satan's power is only a slice of what God has said you can have. But God's ultimate plan, a kingdom established here on earth of justice and love, will not be thwarted. It will come to pass. And he is not threatened by the power of Satan. Let me tell you something. A chihuahua does not threaten a Wattweiler. He'll tear the stuffings out of that thing and it will happen. So the question is, whose side do you want to be on? Again, Paul, the apostle to the church at Rome, says this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You know, that, 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 that thing that you created by all your poor choices and keeps wanting you to go that way, you don't have to do that. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, I don't know why Satan ended up on this earth, why God threw him down here. I don't know why. But I'm going to tell you this, that he is not more powerful than the children of God. That's the promise. Look, when Jesus was hung on a cross, he was fully man, he was human. Your sins, now think about it. What have you done that's been wrong that you know offended God or other people? Those sins were placed on him. Now, because Satan had the authority to rule, and he's ruling over this earth right now. In fact, other, other passages of the Holy Scriptures call him the ruler of the air, ruler of the kingdom of the earth. He rules right now over the heavenlies, over us, creating destruction of this earth and making us are helping us make poor choices, destructive choices. So the moment that our sins were placed on 
Jesus' human body, when sin is placed on a human body, it goes underneath Satan's dictates under his authority. He says, that's mine because there's sin, there's rebellion, that's mine, I rule. And the ultimate thing that he wants to do with this earth and with you is destroy you. And therefore, his ultimate weapon and authority is death. So he said, sins on Jesus, Jesus dies, case closed. Ta-da! And Jesus runs up the steps of Philadelphia. Dun, 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 dun. He thinks he's rocky. Jesus says, got me there. Because you're right. I'm human. I got sin. And you have the right to kill me. I'm dead. I'm in the place of the dead. And everybody who's gone there before was there. But understand that Satan's authority is limited and his ultimate power is death. And once you get through death and you get through that, he has no more authority. So Jesus said, did that thing. And you're right, you got me. I'm human, I had sin on me, I'm dead. But because I'm also fully God, I have the Spirit of God within me, which means that I can leave this place. Well, how can you leave this place? Because you have this authority, which killed me, because I, but because I have the Spirit of God within me, and your authority is here, my authority is here, and you can fight me all you want as I get out of here, but my authority is greater, so I'm out of here. And he leaves. And so we go to church on Easter and go, oh, it's so good. He rose from the dead and the tomb opens up and the light comes out and Jesus walks out and goes, yay, let's eat. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If you put your faith in me, it is like being baptized with me in death so that as I died, you die. And once and for all, Satan has got you, nailed you down, and Jesus says it is finished. And so his worst has already hit you in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, therefore, in the same way that I came up out of the tomb, See, that's what baptism says. It says, you died. Satan's got you. Jesus said, yeah, you paid it. Now you're on your way back out. And so Jesus said, the very power that lifted me from the grave, I now give you. Now, if that authority that Jesus had was greater than what Satan has, when he lifts you out of the grave, you now have greater authority in this world than Satan does over you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And Satan keeps lying to us and saying, no, I gotcha, 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 gotcha. And he keeps deceiving us. And we've got to say, no, 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 Jesus has got me. And I have power to declare what Jesus wants to do on this earth. That's why Jesus said, pray, come my kingdom, be done my will, because that's what he wants us to do. And you have that authority. That is why Jesus, before he left this earth, says, all authority is now given to me in heaven and earth. I did the dying thing, and now the power has lifted me, and my authority is greater. So what do you do with that? Well, the way you live through that, the way you take authority is this. Obey God and tell temptation no. See, here, here's, here's what James, again, the great bishop of the Jerusalem church said. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So let me, let, let me understand what he says with you. Submit. It, meanly, it, it means this, simply and there's an old song we used to sing, an old hymn. 
went like this. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than what? To trust and obey. That is what that word means. Submit. It means to trust that Jesus has the good for you and he knows what he's doing and obey him. And if you do that, you're on your way to health. So let me ask you, where in your life is the spot where you have not yet trusted him? Where is the spot you have not obeyed him? Okay, so I'm involved in a little sexual activity outside of marriage. It's okay. No, 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 no. Did Jesus say, go for it? I don't think so. Check the scriptures. He said, in marriage is the healthy spot. Outside of marriage, you're destroying yourself. Well, but it's just, it's just oral sex. Excuse me. It's still sex. Yeah, there are just a couple of, uh, of supplies I took from the office storeroom for, for home use. No, no, no. Did Jesus say go for that? If not, then, then there's not a trust and obedience there. Okay, it was just, it, you know, it was just one time I gossiped this week. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You still slandered somebody and, and, and made somebody else feel bad about them, didn't you? Yeah. Well, what's the deal? Okay, it was just a little flirtation at the office. Remember that snake we saw? Remember those teeth? In those spots where we don't trust and obey him, Lucifer still gets those teeth in and starts to pull in, creating a nature that is contrary to God's. So he said, trust and obey. Submit to God and resist. The word comes from two words, meaning anti-dwelling. Don't hang out where he is. Anti-dwelling. Don't go there. In fact, you go to God and you say, God, you told me that I have authority and power, so I'm inviting you to build this electric fence around me so when the serpent comes by, he'll either run or fry his cheeks on that fence and want out. He said he will run from you. So here's the deal. Satan's ugly, he's mean, He's here because he had free choice like you and me. He made a choice to hate. And because he has such incredible authority when he was created, it's just, it's just a mess for us. And then we gave it over to him, our dominion here. And so now he's invited into our party and he messes us up. He, 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 he tempts us. And in our own desires, because we, just, we, we have the freedom to choose and we want what we want. And so now the lure shines and we bite in and we, we're hooked and, and we're fried. But we got choice now. Paul the Apostle said, once you've died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? You, he doesn't have dominion over you anymore. I mean, you can do what he tells you to do, but you don't have to. You're free. And you've got authority. So here's how we're going to end. I've never ended like this before. And some of you worship purists who like us to sing a song at the end and feel good may not like this. But here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, not yet, but just in a moment, I'm going to invite our elders, council members, and spouses to come and stand here. And we're going to ask you to do that in just a moment when I play a video. When the video starts, get in place. Now, you're going to listen to a video. At the end of the video, I'm not coming back up. You've got a decision to make. 
At the end, you may want to come talk to one of these elders because you're going to come and talk to them about choices you need to make. You're going to talk to them about making life choices. You're going to even talk to them about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because the scripture says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all impurity. What that is is dying with Jesus, coming alive and having authority over the destructiveness of Satan in your life and giving you health because you don't like, you don't like what you, in, in your life right now. So he's going to give you health. I make sure I get the TH on there so it doesn't sound like I'm saying hell. Health. Satan will give you hell. Jesus gives you health. And so you may want to come up and just talk. You may just want to sit there and think. But don't wait for me to come back up. I'm not coming back up because you have a choice to make. So don't move during the video because it's very impactive. Some of you, I just heard you, you just slipped your shoes on. Just hang in there. So here's the deal. Satan could have chosen to love. He didn't. He chose to hate. And it messed us up. He messed up the world. But in spite of that, we still have a choice. The question is this. What do you choose? I've done this church thing for a long time now, and I think I've got something important to say about it about your expectations, and about you. Here's the deal with the church you are in right now. There could be something deep in your heart that changes today. We hope for that. In fact, we pray for that. But honestly, in my experience, the chances are, well, kind of slim. Now, I know that sounds a bit harsh, even blunt, but I don't know if there's much that can really change a person in 60 minutes. We all know that real change takes a lifetime. They'll ask you to focus on God, and that's a great thing. But it'll be almost impossible to really focus, especially with everything going on in your life. They'll ask you not to be apathetic. I assure you, nobody's apathetic about Jesus. You've just heard this message over and over. Now, I really don't want to sound negative, so when they sing, sing along. When they pray, close your eyes. And when they study the Bible, follow along. But as you do these things, my advice to you is simple. Really simple. Be careful how much you allow your heart to lean in. To lean in toward God. To lean in toward the other people in the room. Oh, there will be a time for you to lean in more, but it might not be today. So hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. I don't consider myself an expert or anything. I've just been around long enough to have a little experience in the church. I hope you have a great day and that this church meets your expectations. And if you need anything at all, or you just want to talk, I'll be around.